question. All right, John 15. I'm sure it'll come to me. If not, Pastor Andrew will get it later in the announcement time. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in verse 10, down through verse number 13. And as is our custom, we'll read responsibly. I'll begin in 10. We'll begin together in verse 11. The Bible says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love together. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. The title of the sermon this morning is our theme for 2023, The Commands of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, guide us, help us to have a full grip understanding, uh, Lord, of the, the motive and the heart behind why you gave us commandments. Lord, help us to understand, uh, God, what you have in store for us over the next 52 weeks. Lord, uh, may, our, may not only our, our ears hear, but may it, it go all the way down deep into our heart. And may we leave here, Lord, committed to be obedient uh, disciples and followers of you. Lord, guide me as I preach, but Lord, guide each one as they listen. And Spirit of God, would you move in each one of our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The commands of Christ. This is our theme for 2023. In my taking the time to study uh, for this series of sermons, I have uh, gone carefully through the Gospels, and I have located 52 distinct commands, 52 commands that are relevant to each one of us in our day-to-day living. Now, if Jesus told his disciples to go get something to eat, I didn't include that in the list. Okay, you with me here? And if a command is repeated in multiple Gospels, that's not, uh, it's not repeated on this list of 52. At the end of the service today, uh, you'll be given a bookmark you can put in your Bible that has all 52 of those commands on it. You can take that with you. And uh, that will be the 52 topics we'll be looking at, mostly on Sunday morning, somewhat on Sunday evenings. This uh, Sunday evening, I'm going to lay out the vision for White Oak Baptist Church in 2023 and beyond. But then beginning next week, we'll begin going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And so if you enjoy the Gospel of John, uh, we're going to be going verse by verse through that on Sunday evenings in 2023. 52 commands. Now, someone could hear 52 commandments and think, wow, even more rules for me to have to try and follow. Uh, How am I ever supposed to keep up with all of those? Others may think, see, I told you the book is a book of rules. The Bible is a book of rules. It's not just the God of the Old Testament giving rules. The God of the New Testament is also giving even more rules. How am I supposed to keep up with all of this? But if we look closely at John chapter 15, what we see is the heart of our Savior. And we see how He discusses these rules. We see why they were given to us throughout the four uh, Gospels. So by way of introduction, let me give you a couple thoughts here out of John 15, and then I'm going to give you uh, six thoughts uh, for the, the main body of the message. But first notice in John 15, first notice the message here, Christ's message. Look at me back at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, This is my commandment. Read the rest of the verse with me. Ready? Here we go. That ye love one another as I have loved you. What is Christ's commandments uh, revolve around? It revolves around the word love. He, his commandments all center around the idea of love, of love. And uh, he who looks at the Christian life as a list of rules um, uh, uh, to be followed is looking at the, looking at the whole concept all wrong, all wrong. Uh, I, these rules, I just can't keep them. It's too complicated. No, 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 no. The rules are there to teach you how to love and how to be loved. Christ's message is one of love because the purpose of His life is the ultimate expression of divine love. Look down at verse 13. John 15, look at verse 13. It says, Greater love hath no man than this, what? Than a man lay down his life. For his friend. Greater love hath no man than this. What was the purpose of the life of Christ? To come and show love to me and you. That was the purpose of the life of Christ. And so as Christ gives us these 52 commandments, 
These 52 commandments are meant to teach us how to live in His culture of love. So, if you view the commandments of Christ as uh, limiting, a limiting list that keeps you from having fun in life, and uh, you miss the point altogether, Christ's commandments are meant to help you abide in the love of God uh, and and in, and and an insane on an insanely deep level. So, what is Christ's message through His commands? Love God and be loved by God. Love God and be loved by God. How many of you want to love God and be loved by God this morning? Amen? Then you need to keep the commands of Christ. Here's the other part of the commands of Christ. Here it is. Love others and be loved by others. How many of you want to love others and be loved by others this morning? Then guess why God gave us, Jesus, in the form of God, Jesus gave us these 52 commands. He gave us these commands to live in a culture of divine love and love with one another. And so this morning and all year long, we're going to be highlighting how we love our Savior, how we uh, are loved by our Savior, how we love others, how to be loved back by others. In 2023, we're going to look at these 52 distinct commands that Christ gave His disciples so that they can be centered around uh, His love and be filled full of joy. So we see the message, number two, notice, let's see Christ's motive. Christ's motive. What is the motive of Christ giving us all of these commands? Uh, you will only Submit to someone uh, and follow someone that you trust. All right? You understand that this morning? You only submit to and follow someone that you trust. Do you trust your authority? If you're not willing to follow your authority, then somewhere deep inside your heart, you don't really trust that your authority. Now watch this. You should not trust someone who does not have your best interest at heart. All right? If you're following some culture or you're following some person and they don't have your best interest at heart, what are you doing following them? You see, you only follow someone you trust. You should only follow someone that has your best interest at heart. Many people do not obey Christ's commands because they do not believe that Christ has their best interest at heart. Now, let's just get right down to brass tacks. Some of you here are not living a life in line with the Bible. You're doing your own thing. You're walking your own way. You're your own final authority. You're not willing to. You're not willing to come under, put your arms down, and quit fighting and follow the Word of God, follow Christ, because you don't really trust Him. Now, does Jesus tell us what His motive is with these boundaries and these commands that He offers? Yes, He does. Look back at verse ten, John fifteen. Look at verse ten. We find not only the message of commandment of love, but we find the motive, the motive of His commands. Look at verse 10. If you keep My commandments, you shall abide in My love, even as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. Look at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, finish it with me, that My joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. What are the mo- What is the motive of all of the commands of Christ? The motive is that you will have a heart full and overflowing with joy. With joy. Now, I can't think of anything greater than having a heart full of joy. Right? Some of you here come in this morning and you are walking around with anxiety in your heart. God this year wants to take anxiety out and replace it with joy. Some of you here this year are living with depression and struggle in your heart. God wants to reach down deep and rip that out and replace it with joy. He wants that joy to be full and overflowing. Full and overflowing. Now, when we proactively, proactively take these 52 commands and obey them, our joy is full. It's full. Now, but the opposite is also true. When we neglect them, when we ignore them, when we don't take heed to them, And when we flat out disobey them, we begin to experience misery. We begin to experience sorrow of heart. You show me someone who is enthusiastically obeying the commands of Christ, I'll show you someone who is overflowing with joy. You show me someone who is joyless, and I'll show you someone who has neglected to follow and obey the commands of Christ. You say, Pastor, is it really that simple? 
Are you oversimplifying it? My friend, John 15 verse 11 says that if you'll keep His commandments, He will make sure your joy is full and overflowing. If you have uh, some sort of resistance to that, don't take it up with me. Take it up with Jesus Christ Himself, who wrote it in John 15, 11, that your joy may might remain full. Might remain full. So in 2023, let's take these 52 distinct commands and let's learn how to have a heart that's full of love, full of joy unspeakable, no matter what life throws our way. So we will place these commands, these 52 commands, over over the next 52 weeks, we'll place these into six distinct categories of thought. And uh, those uh, will be our outline for today. So six categories that these 52 neatly fit under. And those six categories will be our series for uh, 2023. So let's hop in here and notice those six categories by way of outline. Number one, notice commandments about your character. Commandments about your character. Alright, get your fingers out, get your fingers ready. We're going to do some turning in the Word of God this morning. Luke chapter number 6. Turn over to Luke chapter number 6. Commandments about your character. A good chunk of the commandments deal with our character. We said a couple of, a couple of weeks ago on Christmas Sunday morning that your reputation is what people uh, believe you to be. Your character is who God knows you to be. Your reputation is what others see. Your character is what only God sees. And so uh, the Lord Jesus deals directly with the heart of the man and his commands reach past the outward veneer and go straight down into our heart. And so, uh, again, this is just meant to give you a highlight of these six categories, and we'll dive much deeper into these beginning next week. Let's look at verse number 36. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, uh, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down. And shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. A Christian who abides by the commandments of Christ shows love to others by being a man or woman of high character. High character. You know what Christians do? Listen up now. Christians show mercy. Why? Because they have experienced mercy on the deepest possible level. Christians have experienced the mercy of Christ at salvation. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you truly deserve. The Bible teaches the wages of sin is death. The Bible teaches the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Not just the body that sinneth. But the soul, the soul that lives well on past the body, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Bible tells us that if your name is not found written in the book of life, that you'll be cast into the lake of fire. How do you get your name written in the uh, book of life? By putting your faith alone in Christ. And when you did that, God reached down and He showed mercy to you. And He forgave your soul. Uh, Christians are not to be judgmental and condemning on others around them. Why? Because when you and I were condemned in our sin, Christ sought not to condemn us. He sought to redeem us. He sought to restore us. Aren't you glad He did? The essence of a Christian can be measured not in what he takes in life, but rather in what he gives. You say, uh, Pastor, uh, what kind of character does a man have? Well, are they more willing to take from others or more willing to give to others? Are they quicker to be a consumer of others' kindness or are they quicker to be a provider, a seller of goodness, a giver of goodness to others? God says in verse 38 that if you give, then in time you will get back far more than you have given out. Is God's Word telling us to give with the motive of getting? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've shared this story before, but... Uh, it's a funny story, so I'll share it again. When I was 12 years old, we had a, a missions conference, and we had the pastor get up and talk about faith, promise, missions, giving. And the concept is, is that you give by faith. You give beyond what you have. And he said, uh, he said, uh, stand up and share a testimony. 
companies. And this guy named Gary sitting over here, he stood up and he said, yeah, last year I made a commitment to give $100 a month to missions. He said it was $100 I didn't have and I was getting down to the end of the month that I didn't have it. And lo and behold, uh, God just dropped $100 in my pocket and I gave it. And he said the next month, I just went ahead and gave the $100 early uh, and didn't pay a bill thinking, you know what, I'm going to give this $100 and uh, God's going to, you know, uh, He's going to provide it. I know He is. I'm giving by faith. The bill will get covered. He said, and lo and behold, I didn't get $100. I got $200. And my little 12-year-old mind sitting there thinking, this is the greatest investment scheme in the history of humanity. And I had a $20 bill sitting in my pocket that was burning a hole and I thought I can spend this on Mountain Dew and gummy worms or I can put it in the offering plate and have $40 to spend on Mountain Dew and gummy worms. And so I gave that $20 in the plate. I made sure to put it in the envelope, market for missions, and dropped that in the plate. And I waited a week and I waited two weeks and I waited a month. And get, lo and behold, I did not get anything. All right? I gave that $20 and that was it. You know why I was doing I was giving with the motive of getting. We don't give with the motive of getting. We give with the motive of giving. Amen? But when you give with the motive of giving, God makes sure to take care of you. Now, many people, when they hear Luke 6.38, they're money-minded. And they misinterpret this verse as though all they can see is green. Look at Luke 6.38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Many people think this verse is talking about money, because that's what we think about. We think about money. I do it, you do it, we all do it, all right? Um, Pastor, do you love money? I, I don't want to love money, but i got to tell you, I like it. Just being honest with you. Some of you here say, oh, I don't, I don't love money. I don't even like money. Well, then give me all of yours. Amen? <laughs> we, all, we all at least like it, and it's a battle not to love it. The love of money is the root of all evil. And we read a verse like Luke 6.38, and our mind immediately goes to, this is talking about money. This verse is not talking about money. Amen. What's this verse talking about? Well, look back at verse 36. Look back at 36. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. What is it that we are giving in verse 38? Mercy! What is it that we're giving? Forgiveness! What is it that we're giving? A non-judgmental heart. As we give mercy to others, God gives it back to us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God uses men to give back into your heart the way that you give mercy to the heart of others. The commands of Christ are driven by love with the motive of of filling full of joy, filling full your joy. When you are a man or woman of high character, you love others even when they don't deserve it. Commandments about your character. Number two, commandments about your calling. Now we're going to begin looking at that concept of character next Sunday morning. Let's move on and look at yet another theme of the commandments of Christ. And that is our calling. Now, the day you put your faith... Take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. The day you put your faith in Christ alone and asked Him to be your Savior, He made you a new creation. He made you a new creation. Look at me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You are a new creation in Christ. John 3, Jesus worded it this way, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The day you were born again of the Spirit, you became a child of God. You became a new creation. John 1.12 says, Therefore, if any man... Let's see. If any man... Be, no, I've got the wrong verse here. But as many as received him, there it is. Him gave you power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. You become a son of God. You are born a new, born again. Second Corinthians 5. Paul words it this way in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... Look here. He is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are 
or become new. Not only did God make you a new creation, He gave you a new work, a new task, a new assignment. But not only did He give you a new assignment, listen up teenagers, no talking. Not only did He give you a new assignment, He gave you also a a spiritual gifts and talents and the capacity to get it done. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple of books to the right. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Just a handful of pages to the right there. Ephesians chapter number 2. And uh, we looked at this verse, I believe it was last week. Look at verse number 10. It says, therefore, we are His workmanship. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, uh, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God made you a new creation and He gave you a new assignment. God made you a new creation and He gave you a new task. God did not just save you to give you fire insurance. Let me say that again. God did not just save you so that you could avoid hell. God did not save you so that you could live like the world before you were saved and then continue to live like the world after you were saved, but yet skip out on hell. That's not why God saved you. God saved you to make you a new creation, and then when He made you a new creation, He gave you a new task. He gave you a task, He gave you a work, and He gave you, puts a calling on your life, and He wants you to get that done. Now life is filled with tensions. Take your Bibles to Matthew 6. Life is filled with tensions. Tensions. Righteous living versus sinful living. How many of you know what that tension feels like? Wanting to do right versus wanting to do wrong. Alright? Um, selflessness... Versus selfishness. Some of you fought with your spouse on the way into church this morning. You know what you dealt with? The tension of selflessness versus selfishness. You say, yeah, I'm being selfish and my husband's selfless and my husband's being selfish. Amen? There's the tension. Uh, some of you here fight the, the, know the tension of living for yourself versus living for God. How many of you know it's a battle to read your Bible every day? I mean, you know it's a battle to pray every day. It's a battle. You fight the flesh. You do. You know why? Because your flesh doesn't want to live for God. Your flesh wants to live for you. Right? Uh, your, your flesh doesn't, didn't necessarily want to get up and come to church this morning. Now, maybe you've gotten to the place where it's your habit and your flesh has just come to live with the fact that on Sundays you go to church. But I tell you this much. I don't care if you've been going to church for three weeks or 30 years. If you fell out of habit uh, this year of going to church, those of you that have been part of this church since it begun, if you fell and been faithful the whole time, if you fell out of the habit of going to church over the next three months and then decided one Sunday morning that you wanted to get up and come, your flesh would fight you because your flesh does not want to be here. How many of you know what I'm talking about this morning? Now, you may have gotten here and you may be glad you came. And by the way, usually when you overcome the flesh and do what God says, usually you feel glad, you're glad you did it, aren't you? Right? You know what your flesh is going to tell you about 4 o'clock this afternoon? You don't need to go to church tonight. You don't need to go. You already went to church today. You don't need to go back again. You, know, you, you're not, you don't need to be a fanatic. I mean, you can be a fan, but not a fanatic. Don't, you don't need to go back. You don't need to go back. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to get up. He wants you to take off those leisure clothes and put on some nice clothes. He wants you to get up, get in your car, and come to church. Let's be faithful to the Lord. Let's be faithful to the house of God. Let's be faithful to the family of God. Let's be faithful to the church house. How about this one? I, some of you, I lost you right there on that one. Um, building my kingdom versus building God's kingdom. Building my kingdom versus building God's kingdom. Look at Matthew 6. Look at verse 33. Read it with me. Ready? Ready? Here we go. Ready? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you do that? Do you seek God's kingdom? Or are you seeking your own, to build your own kingdom? Now, um, I'm a year shy of four decades. And I have done my best to live my life to seek first the kingdom of God. I've not been perfect at it. I've had... Lapses of judgment. I've had uh, times where I've not. Uh, I've been more self-serving than God-serving. But overall, I have done my best. I have tried my best to build the kingdom of God. And let me tell you what has happened. I'm just speaking personally here. 
Let me tell you what has happened throughout my life. As I have devoted my day-to-day life to building the kingdom of God, God has taken care of me and my family. He has taken care of us in a way that is overwhelming. He has abundantly poured down His blessing on my life. I've not missed a meal. You can tell, right? I've been able to pay all my bills. I have no debt. God's been good to me. I have looked after His kingdom, and He has taken care of me. Sometimes I, I say to the Lord in prayer, Why? I'd be, I'd be content with a small little drafty house with a clunker of a car that got me A to B and just a couple of nickels to get by. And by no means am I rich, but God's been very good to me. And here's what happens. We run around trying to take care of our own kingdom, and God says, okay, hands off. Do it on your own. Go ahead. Suffer, struggle. Struggle from one thing to the next. And if it isn't a financial struggle, it's a relationship struggle. Or it's a health struggle. Or it's an emotional struggle. God is allowed to send any struggle into my life that He wants. Because He's God. But I don't want God to have to send struggles in my life because I'm building my kingdom and not His. I don't want God to send struggles in my life because I'm ignoring His calling on my life. Turn over to Matthew 9. You see, when you build God's kingdom, He turns around and He builds yours. As you prioritize the fulfillment of the needs of heaven, God prioritizes the fulfillment of your earthly needs. Have you ever stopped and tried to see something from the other person's perspective? It's a healthy thing to do. Remember once we uh, had a a rental, and I did not like the way the rental came to an end with the landlord. And so I sent an email to the landlord and just said, here are my list of complaints. And that uh, landlord wrote me back a scathing but accurate email of how she saw it from the other side. And I had to step back and go, yeah, you're right, and I'm wrong. You know what I'd been doing the whole time? I'd been looking at it from my perspective and not from that side of the, uh, uh, that side of the table. Yes. Have you ever stopped to look at eternity from God's perspective? Have you ever stopped to look at humanity from God's perspective? You know what God looks down and sees? He sees mankind that He loves. He sees mankind that He died for. He sees mankind that's either going to spend an eternity in heaven or hell. He sees mankind who He wants to save. Look at Matthew 9. Look at verse 37. Then said He unto His disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye. Here's the command. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Here's what what happens when I see the need from God's vantage point? I get down on my knees and I pray for lost souls. I pray for God to send people to reach lost souls. And then, as I'm praying, I get the burden to go and reach lost souls and influence other Christians to do the same. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and look with me at verse number 18. These verses are taught and preached in a good church on a regular basis, and they're going to get repeated right here. As I pray, God, as I pray that God sends others, God puts in my heart to be one of those that goes. And then now I'm not only praying for the increase of the laborers into the harvest, I'm also now part of the laborers. By the way, if Jesus only died for a select few, why then would He pray for more laborers to go forth and preach the message? God puts it on you and I to go forth and tell the world because God in heaven is dependent on me and you to tell the world about salvation. Look at 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Look at verse 19. Read that first word with me. Here here it is. Ready? Go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What is God's calling on your life? What is it? Now, the details for each person is different. All right? 
But the greater calling for all of us is the same. You know what it is? Go tell the world that Jesus saves. That's it. That's it. To obey the commands of Christ is to live within the circle of God's love. Now, watch this. As I tell people about salvation, I get to have God's love channeled through me and onto the world. There's no greater love to experience than that right there. Years ago, and for whatever reason, I've led hundreds, if at this point in my life, not thousands of people to Christ, but this one soul-winning experience I've never been able to forget or shake. Heaven, I'll get to heaven one day, like many soul winners, and, and I'll see people there that I completely forgot that I led to the Lord. But I've never been able to forget this experience. It was, it was probably 15 to 20 degrees outside on a Saturday afternoon, and I was knocking doors in Chicago, Illinois, college student, went to college out that direction, and me and my soul winning partner knocked on the door, and this um, early 80s um, woman, widow, came to the door, very just feeble and frail, and and she stood there, and and we, we wanted to make it quick, because we knew she was elderly, and and it was cold outside, and and so we gave her the gospel track and, and invited her to ride our church bus. And We're getting ready to leave without witnessing to her. And she stopped and said, Young man, what do the verses on the back of this gospel track mean? What is the message that you're giving me this evening? And I took that gospel track and I walked her through the message of salvation. And I remember that lady in her 80s looked at me when I got down to the end and I invited her to pray. And she said, I've spent my whole life lost in religion, wondering how to make my way to God. She said, now it all makes sense. And that elderly lady in her 80s bowed her head And with tears coming down her cheeks in the doorway, she asked Jesus to be her Savior. I have no doubt, that was back in the early 2000s, I have no doubt that she's in heaven with Jesus now. Never saw her after that. You know what I did that that evening? I got in my, my little clunker car and I drove back to the college campus with the love of God just bouncing around every blood cell in my body and the joy of Jesus brimming over the top of my heart and my life. Some of you here are nervous and you have bucked at and been resistant toward sharing your faith. And I'm just telling you, you're missing out. Christ did not command you to witness so that you could have some pastor beat you over the head with the soul winning stick. That's not why it's in the Bible. Matthew 28:18-20 isn't there so Pastor Lejeune can put you on a guilt trip several times a year. Matthew 28, 18-20 is there because Jesus commanded you to do this so that your joy could be full and overflowing. Commandments about your character. Commandments about your calling. Number three, commandments about coming to God. Commandments about coming to God. What was the ultimate purpose of the life of Jesus? It was to help people find their way into heaven for all of eternity. Now, uh, this verse is coming to the top of my mind here because... It's the verse that sums up the whole Bible. All of the verses in the Bible prior to it are an arrow pointing at it. All of the verses after this verse are an arrow pointing back to it. John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did Jesus come? He came for you to have a way to heaven and to God. So how does a person come to God? How does a person live... Take your Bibles to Matthew 7. How does a person live in His presence for all of eternity? The reality is that the answer is easy and simple. But many people miss it. In fact, Jesus said that the proper way to heaven is not the popular way to heaven. The proper way to heaven is not the popular opinion 
on how to get to heaven. Many people today believe there are many ways to God. That's just not the case. It might be popular to believe that. It is not proper to believe that. There's one way to God. In fact, the Bible says that while it's easy for people to get to heaven, few there will be that actually go. Look at Matthew 7, look at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Notice the command there. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many, it's popular, many there be which go in thereat. Look at 14. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. By the way, if you have anything other than a King James, it's likely that verse 14 says, because hard is the way. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's easy. I'm going to show you how easy it is in just a minute. It isn't that people go to hell because it's hard. It's that people go to hell because people are following a populist opinion that's wrong. So what does God require to make it out, uh, make it onto the straight and narrow way that leads to life eternal? Turn over to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. In verse 17, what does the Lord require? He requires repentance. He requires repentance. Look at Matthew 4. Some of you here are getting nervous. But I'm just, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. All right, Take it from the mouth of Jesus. Don't be nervous. Look at Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. See that word? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, uh, Satan has done a great job of taking that word repent and creating all kinds of false doctrines and false understandings. The word repent is really quite simple. What does it mean to repent? Repent means to change one's mental direction. If you're taking notes, write that down. To repent means to change one's mental direction. Someone says, oh, repent means to turn from your sin. It does not mean to turn from your sin. Because, listen, the Bible says in multiple places that God repented. And God had no sin. And so repent cannot just simply mean to turn from your sin. What does the word repent mean? It means to change one's mental direction. But, by the way, a changing of one's mind should eventually lead to a changing of one's actions. A changing of one's mind should eventually lead to a changing of one's actions. Let me illustrate. If I have my mind made up uh, that I am going uh, to take a nap this afternoon after church, I'm going to go home and eat a dinner and take a nap. And then I repent from the choice of taking a nap. The repentance takes place the moment I change my mind. I change directions about laying down and taking a nap. And by uh, changing my mind, guess what's going to pursue? Guess what's going to come in behind? I ain't going to take a nap. My actions change. But repentance does not uh, culminate in the action. Repentance culminates in the changing of one's mind. So what is it that repentance means in Matthew 4.17? It is the changing of my mind in anything other than Jesus to save my soul. And it's repenting the changing of one's mind into my faith being in Christ alone to save me. How simple is that? Turn over to Matthew 18. What kind of faith is God looking for? And this is why I say salvation is easy. Salvation is easy. It's so easy a child can do it. Look at Matthew 18 verse 3. This repentance is brought about by faith. This faith must come in the form of the faith of a child. Look at Matthew 18 verse 3. And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as a little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, you know what's hard for adults to fully believe and trust someone? It's hard. Because we're skeptical. Because we've been taken advantage of and we've been hurt. We've been burned. Right? And because we're skeptical, we think, ah, it can't really be that easy. It's that easy. God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to die in your place. And all He's looking for you to get to God is for you to humble your heart and by faith accept Him. 
You know, if I purchased for you a very expensive gift and I was offering it to you, I could have taken the time to buy it. I could have taken the time to wrap it. I could have been thoughtful enough to bring it and present it to you. And you can have an attitude that says, nope, I don't want it. You know what? Until you have enough faith that that's not some kind of pipe bomb in that box, but a real gift, and you're willing to humble your heart and repent from unbelief to belief in Christ, or rather in the illustration, or believe in me and my goodwill, you're not going to extend your hands and take that gift. But the moment that you do repent, change your mind, and have enough faith in my goodwill to stick out your hands, you then become the recipient of that gift. Many people are trying to get to God by being a good person. And God says, I don't need your good works. I've already paid the price on the cross. Other people deny the fact that God is even real and exists. And yet God has already paid for the gift of eternal life. And He freely offers it to each individual. He's simply waiting on you to exercise the faith and receive it. Now watch this. When we follow the commands of Christ and come to God through the cross of Calvary, we are welcomed into the presence of God. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. There, there is no greater joy than living in the presence of um, the uh, essence of love for all of eternity. Alright, say the alliterated word with me, the fill in the blank word. Here we go. Commandments about your character. Commandments about your Calling. Number three, commandments about coming to God. Number four, notice commandments concerning others. Commandments concerning others. John chapter 15 in your Bibles. John 15, back where we started this morning. Look with me at verse number 12. The Bible says, this is my commandment. We're going to read down through 17. That ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I commanded you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, read it with me. These things have I commanded you, that ye love one another. We all know that we're supposed to love others, but we are not always very good at it now, are we? Why? Well... Because we love ourselves more than we love others. We love ourselves more than we love others. We're willing to put what we want over what others want. We're willing to shuffle our needs ahead of others' needs. Defer is not what we do. Rather, dominate and take what we want for ourselves is what we do. Take your Bibles with me over to Luke chapter 6. Why else is it that we don't love others as we're supposed to? Well, because we react out of vengeance instead of responding with kindness and sacrificial love. You ever had somebody um, do something to you that was selfish and unkind? We all have. To live is to have that happen. Some of you here have had that happen to you by other people in our church. Some of you go home and you've got to deal with a culture in your home that's unhealthy, toxic, selfish. How do you respond when others mistreat you? How about in a business dealing where someone cheats you? How about, um, how about at work when someone is... Uh, playing politics to get a promotion ahead of you and willing to lie and connive to take advantage of you. How do you respond, Christian? Do you react out of vengeance or do you react out of kindness and sacrificial love? 
Now, by the way, being a Christian doesn't mean that you're spineless. You can still stand up for yourself. But you need to do it in a way that's pleasing to, to the Lord. Look at Luke chapter 6, look at verse 31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Notice that it, we know this is the golden rule. Notice that it does not say, do to men as they do to you, but rather do to men as you would that men should do to you. Right? Okay. Someone cusses you out. Don't cuss them back out. Amen? You're a Christian. Alright? Don't give them a piece of your mind. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Alright? How many of you here are like me in your nature, and if someone cuts you off, you want to go cut them back off? How many of you are like me? Okay? That's it? That's all? It's... Okay. Some of you aren't telling the truth right now. Okay? You know what? That might be the temptation. You can't do it. Not if you're going to be obedient to the Lord. Alright? My kids could tell you stories. Alright? They'd be in trouble if they did, but they could, all right? <laughs> I think to um, think to children who are 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, and um, anytime I have someone in traffic that zips ahead, you know, in the right lane, and it's amazing in Connecticut. You, you get 15, 20 feet from you in the vehicle in front of you, and you're driving 70, 75 miles an hour, and they can't even get anywhere if they go around you, and they'll still go around you and slide in, and you're thinking, what are you doing? I'm just trying to live a, leave a buffer zone and not get in an accident. Anyway, but I, I, think if, I think of kids who cut in line, right? And, and little kids grow up, and they're just as selfish, how do you respond when people mistreat you? Do you respond with an efficacy and an integrity and, an inki- and a kindness? Here's what I've realized, and I hope this will help some of you spawn some thought. Sometimes, sometimes, even though I am well-meaning, sometimes I still do things that are unkind in someone else's direction. And I don't even realize it. I don't even realize it. There have been times where I have turned and looked and, and, and saw someone who had a shock face, shock look on their face that I was rude their direction. And I thought to myself, oh, I did not mean to come across that way. Here's what I'm getting at. You are rude whether you realize it or not sometimes. And you know what you want other people to do to you and you're rude? You want them to cut you some slack, don't you? Then maybe you should cut other people some slack. You want others to be kind to you when you're not having the best day, then maybe we turn around and we show that same love to others. Jesus taught a religion of love. You know, there are religions in this world that say you kill the infidel. You eliminate the dissenter. You label and hate and hurt. And I think sometimes Christians are guilty of that. We look at someone who doesn't believe the Bible like us, or we look at someone who lives an alternate lifestyle. We look at someone who's wrapped up in sin. and We want to throw stones and judge and look down upon. I, I can't ever... I can't ever think of a time where a judgmental spirit towards someone won that person over to my side. Not once. I can't ever think of a time where I have either preached a sermon publicly or preached it someone privately that was condemning and nasty and hurtful and ever had that person stop and go, You're right! I need to change! But you know what does bring people around? When God loves them through you. Oh, I'm not saying that we condone sin. I'm not saying that we accept sin. But what I am saying is that we can take a stand against sin without being nasty towards sinners. Commandments concerning others. Number five. 
Commandments regarding cautions. Commandments regarding cautions. Take your Bible to Luke chapter 12. And again, this is just meant to sort of uh, whet your appetite, to come back all year long, because we're going to be looking at these six topics, and I'm just sort of giving you some of the highlights over each topic this morning about the commands of Christ. The message is love. The motive is joy. The message is that we live in an environment of the love of God flowing in us and through us. Loved by God, loving God. Loved by others, loving others. And uh, these six topics take the 52 commands of Christ and neatly organize them for us. Commands regarding cautions. Now, when I abide in the commands of Christ, I learn that there are certain responses that do not please God and are out of place uh, and even unnecessary for someone who is obedient to Christ and locked in to his system of love. So notice first here, we are not to be filled with anxiety or worry over our daily provisions. Again, we're not to be filled with anxiety or worry over our daily provisions. Look at Luke 12, look at verse 22, and he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, uh, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with uh, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If uh, If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why uh, take ye thought for the rest? What do you wring in your hands and worrying for? When you have a God who's ultimately in control, ultimately in charge. And this would be like uh, me coming home to a four-year-old child that, let's say back when my kid uh, child was four years old, I come home and uh, my daughter is pacing the living room floor, wringing your hands and, and, and all worked up and all worried. And I say to her, I say, April, what's wrong? And she says, I just don't know what we're going to eat for dinner tonight. And I don't know how it's going to get cooked. And I don't know uh, where we're going to find the food. And I look at her and say, April. We have food in the refrigerator and in the cabinet and your mother is a capable cook and she's going to get dinner started in about 30 minutes. What are you worried about? Well, I just don't know. I, I don't know if it's, I know it's happened every other day, but I just don't know if it's going to happen this day. And I'd say, you don't need to be filled with angst or worry or fear because that dinner is surely going to come to pass. And God is much greater of a parent to you and I than we are to our own kids. In fact, Jesus said, if ye being evil know how to good give, give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father give unto them that love Him? Oh, we worry over our daily provisions when that is not necessary. Turn over to Luke chapter number 12. Again, look at verse number 4. We are not to be driven by the fear of man or death, but rather by the fear of God. Many people operate under a spirit of fear, but not a spirit of fear of God. They operate under a spirit of the fear of man and the fear of the unknown and uh, the fear of the acceptance of others or maybe even the fear of death. Look at Luke chapter 12, look at verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Look at this, a command of Christ. Fear Him, fear Him which after He hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear Him. Hey, we're not to be concerned about what man thinks about us. We're to be concerned about our standing with God. We're to fear God, not fear man. Look at Luke chapter number 11. Verse number 39. We're working backwards here. We are not to be driven by the acceptance of man by our outward appearance, but rather by the approval of God and our inward reality. I think that may have gone over some of your heads or in one ear and out the other. Let me say that again. Listen closely. We are not to be driven by the acceptance of man by our outward appearance, but rather by the approval of God and our inward reality. All of you here this morning, me included, all of us that are here, None of us have any idea how good or bad the other one is. All I see is what you present. Can I say all of us this morning here on some level are lying 
Because we want people to think things about us that are not 100% true. You say, I'm an open book. You may be more open than others, but are you really totally open? Are you willing to stand behind this pulpit and share the worst thing you did this week? Or the worst thing you thought this week? Or the worst thing you said this week? I highly doubt it. And you see, we're driven by what others think about us. Instead of the reality of what God knows about us. And Christian, if this calendar year, you can learn how to be more concerned about what God knows than what man thinks, you're going to exponentially grow as a Christian. Look at Luke 11, look at verse 39. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter? But your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness, ye fools. Did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? But rather give alms of such things as ye have. And behold, all things are clean unto you. Jesus said, do you think, who do you think you're fooling? Who do you think you're fooling? You present this outward veneer that's so put together. You present this outward veneer that's so hyper-spiritual, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and wickedness. Commandments regarding cautions. Let's, say, uh, let, let's review the outline together. Ready? Here we go. Commandments about your character. Number two, commandments about your calling. Number three, commandments about coming to God. Number four, commandments concerning others. Number five, commandments... Regarding cautions in the sixth category, commandments to make Christ your king. Commandments to make Christ your king. Ultimately, someone is going to be in charge of your life. It's either going to be sin and Satan, or it will be salvation in the Savior. Turn over to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 37. Christ does not just want to be somewhere on the list of influences in your life. Right? Somewhere on... I tell people, listen, here at the church, I don't care if I'm at the top of the list of people that you love. I just want to be on the list somewhere. Okay? You attend here faithfully. I just want to make the list somewhere. Alright? I don't have to be number one. You like Pastor Andrew more than you like me? Hey, that's great. I'm just happy to be on the list. I mean that. Alright? I'm sincere about that. You love uh, Brother Owens over here more than you love me? Uh, he's been here a lot longer than me. I respect him. I love him. Uh, he and I are on the same team. Hey, I'm glad I'm on the list. I mean that wholeheartedly. I'm not trying to be number one in anybody's heart here. I hope that uh, you love me enough to let me influence you with the Bible, but if there's another personality here at our church you, you gravitate toward, hey, that's great. But listen, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus doesn't just want to be somewhere on your list. He needs to be at the top of the list of who influences your life. The very, very, very top of your list. Far and away, number one on your list. Number two, whoever number two is ought to be in line with Christ, but ought to be way down the list. The Lord Jesus Christ ought to be the number one influence on your list. Look at verse 37 of Matthew 10. Who's king of your heart? Who's king of your life? He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. When you make Christ your Lord and your King then you find yourself doing His work. And as you grow weary, Christ, promise, Christ promises to give rest for your soul. 
Look at Matthew 11. Next chapter over, look at verse 28. You're busy doing the work of the Lord and you grow weary in your, uh, in your work. You grow weary in that effort. Uh, you're loving God and you're getting loved back. And you're loving others and you're getting loved back. But the flesh grows weary and sometimes even the spirit grows weary. Look at Matthew 11. Look at verse number 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're either going to... There are people who say, I'm my own boss. I'm in charge of my own life. I call the shots. I do whatever I want. I'm king of my heart. And that I would say, you're really not. You're really not. You see, you're letting social media tell you how to dress. You're letting the music industry tell you what your morals should be. You're letting Hollywood and all of Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the streaming services dictate to you how you feel. Either you're trying to be king of your life and at the end sin is king, or you're going to humble down and let the Savior be king. You see, you can't, you can't do them both. You can do one or you can do the other. And here's what I want to tell you this, evening, this morning by way of close. The commandments of Christ are meant to wrap you up in the love of God and fill your life with joy. To the degree that you take those commandments and you proactively obey them, to that degree, your heart will be full of joy. I want you to imagine that someone goes into your home and they turn off the water main. Now you can't take a shower. You can't cook. Well, I guess you can use the microwave, but you can't cook. All right? You know what's going to happen is you're going to start getting stinky after a little bit. Your whole life is going to become miserable. And when we choose to disobey the commands of Christ, we're turning off the joy main. And now you go turn the faucet on joy comes out. We make excuses. And we blame some condition. Or we blame some person. But what we need to do is get down in the basement of our heart and find where we're disobeying the commands of Christ. And when we begin to obey them, we turn that joy main back on. And God's joy comes flowing right out that faucet. And then you're spiritually clean. And that joy just flows over and brims out of your heart. Some of you here this morning, you need to commit that over the next 52 weeks, you're going to actively come in with a heart ready to hear God's Word and make the changes necessary. So that God's love and God's joy can flow through you and onto others for the rest of your Christian life. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. You can continue to live a life robbed of joy, or you can live a life robed in joy. That's really your decision. You see, we're really good at blaming others for our struggles. But the reality is, it's not others, it's our own disobedience. God's message, Christ's message was love. His motive was joy. We must choose to obey the commandments of Christ. Lord, this morning would you lead us and guide us into truth. Truth sets us free. Truth brings us to a place of love. Truth brings us to a lifetime of joy. And that's why you commanded us to obey the truths in the Bible. Lord God, help us today.
If there's one here today that has not yet put their faith and trust in you alone for salvation and has not yet received that gift we spoke of earlier in the message, may they do so right now. With their heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Lejeune, I've, I've not put my faith and trust in Christ alone. I've not yet received that gift of eternal life. If I died right now, I just don't know for sure that I would go to heaven. But that sure is something that I would like to do. That sure is something that I would like to know. I would like to repent from my unbelief and choose to believe in Jesus as the only way to heaven. If you're here today and you're not certain that you're on your way to heaven and you would just like me to anonymously pray for you, I would love to do that. That's you. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I'm not going to call out your name or embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Is there one? I do not know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I see that hand. Anybody else this morning? My friend, don't leave here this morning without getting that issue taken care of. Standing down here in the front, Pastor Andrew is standing right here. And he would like to have a lady take the Bible and show you from the Scriptures how you can have that gift. Many, many people will most likely come and bend a knee here at the altar and pray. I would encourage you to come down with them and learn about salvation. How many would say, Pastor Lejeune, pray for me that over the next year, I will become even more in line and obedient to the commands of Christ. Here's my hand. Please pray for me, Pastor Lejeune. I want to be obedient to the commands that Christ has given us. Lord, would you help us this morning to be devoted disciples, committed to your commands. Help us, Lord, to be Christians that are filled with joy in a world full of sorrow. Lord God, guide this time of invitation. May decisions be made that stick. In Jesus' name.